Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. So you want to grow fruit trees, but maybe the only area you have is a sunny, narrow side yard. Well, that's not a problem if you trellis those fruit trees. Today, Master Gardener Quentin Young walks us through step-by-step construction of a trellis for fruit trees, along with the best varieties of fruit trees that are easy to trellis. America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, tells us about a quick-growing flowering annual that puts on quite a show. It's tobacco. Hmm. In many parts of the country, summertime can be tough on your garden, not just for the bouts of heat, but also wildfire smoke that can travel for hundreds of miles. We have tips on how to keep your garden healthy when that smoke arrives. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. How do you want to grow fruit trees, but you don't have the room? Is there a solution? Well, yeah, there are plenty of solutions. We've talked about backyard orchard culture a lot on this program of keeping your fruit and nut trees at a manageable height, but it is still a three-dimensional item. It is maybe six feet tall by six or eight feet wide in all directions. But what if you have a, a narrow space and you want fruit trees? Can you do that? Yes, you can. If you know how to trellis it, if you can build an and you can. We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in the orchard section where they have several examples of trellising fruit trees. We're talking with Quentin Young. He's part of the orchard crew out here. He's a master gardener. He's the manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. And Quentin, we're standing in front of a mandarin. The um, It's a Satsuma mandarin, the Mihuasi. And this is a nice homemade trellis. And I guess really when it comes to making a three-dimensional item two-dimensional, you need a good solid support. Yeah, I think the first thing is where are you going to put your espalier? And then you have to have your structure planned because that's the most important part to me. Yeah, and it has to be in an area where the sun requirements primarily are going to be fulfilled. Uh, if it's a narrow area, just make sure it gets, what, six hours of sun or more a day? Ideally six to eight hours. And if you can run it on a north-south north orientation, even better. All right. And it's fairly simple and direct uh, looking at this one you built here. And we should point out that the master gardeners built it. You didn't run down to the big box store and buy a cheap trellis made out of uh, one-by-ones. Exactly, because those are going to fall apart pretty quickly. You want to put a little bit of thought into the structure. They don't have to be complicated, um, but you do want to, I would say, at least have um, four-by-fours for your primary structure, and then you want to have cables um, that run between the four-by-fours about every 18 inches um, to two feet, and these are sunk into the ground 
um, two feet and they are in concrete. All right. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your concrete footings here. It looks like you took some uh, one gallon or two gallon plastic pots and filled them with concrete and sunk the uh, four by fours in that. That's exactly what we did. Basically, we wanted the um, you want the four by four and the concrete to be above grade. That'll help keep them dry and prevent them from rotting out long term. Um, so that's basically what we did. All right. For this mandarin, for this uh, particular trellis, uh, the two four by fours look to be about oh eight to ten feet tall. The one two three four five six wires, like you said, are spaced about eighteen inches apart. The distance from four by four to four by four looks to be what about ten feet? I think it's eight on this one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the Mihuasi mandarin that's growing here is perfect. It's not that wide. It's up to about the uh, fourth wire. The first wire is about a foot and a half off the ground and then every 18 inches there's another wire for a grand total of six wires and so this Mihuasi right now is about five and a half feet tall and it, it's very narrow you could easily put that in uh, an eight foot wide walkway uh, you could and we keep it it's probably about two feet from in terms of depth um, and we specifically picked a uh, mandarin because it's going to sort of naturally stay small versus let's say a grapefruit or a lemon but you could easily do one of those if you wanted a larger espalier with a lot of pruning. With a lot of pruning, yeah, and more shaping. So this one has been here since 2010, um, and it's just naturally small, and it's easy to keep this shape. How are the branches attached to the wires and... Uh are the as the branches grow, are they flexible enough that you could wrap around the wire, or do you want to wrap it around the wire? We don't really wrap it uh, around the wire, but we wrap the ties around the wire and then pull the branches to create more of a two-dimensional shape, and we use these rubber ties because they can expand. All right. Where do you find rubber ties like that? Online. Okay. And what are they called? Rubber ties. Rubber ties. <laughs> I always forget the name, but if you Google rubber plant ties, it comes up pretty quickly. All right. And again, uh, pruning, you'd probably do it almost year-round. Yeah, we just shape our citrus in general at the Hort Center um, year-round. and But this one, also, we just shape it from time to time whenever we have a work day. And, of course, I, I know the first question people are going to ask is, well, okay, you've taken a three-dimensional item and turned it into a two-dimensional item. Doesn't that reduce the fruit set? Uh, it doesn't seem to. This is a really productive tree. As you can see, there's a lot of fruit on here. So, no, it doesn't, doesn't affect the fruit at all. And plenty of room to walk around it. Yeah, and also... Before I forget, because we're in the middle of summer, part of the, the benefit to doing this is if we need to cover this in the winter, it's really easy to show, throw a frost cloth just over the top wire and then basically have a simple A-frame cover and then you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. That's another consideration to protect it from the frost is how easy is, is it to uh, throw that frost cloth over and in a two-dimensional setup like this, it's easy. Very easy. Speaking of easy, what are some of the easiest examples of fruit trees or nut trees that take to a trellis like this? So we have the citrus. I think citrus are really easy to do. If you go on the other side of the orchard, we have an espalier pomegranate and that's incredibly easy. Also really beautiful um, when it's in bloom and when it has fruit on it. Um, next to it, we have a plum. It's a beauty plum and that's in a more sort of traditional French technique, um, a little bit more complicated called an arcure. But the plums do 
very well as an espalier because they're so vigorous. Um, and then next to that is a pear, and also in its more traditional formal style called a merchant flag. Um, so you can theoretically espalier anything. It just really depends on how much work you want to do. The, probably the most difficult ones would be a peach and a cherry. We have those further up the hill, but they're referred to more as a fan because they're not as static as most espaliers. They require quite a bit more pruning and replacing old branches with new branches. Are the trellis systems on those basically the same as this? Basically a couple of four by fours running wires in yeah, between them? Yeah, pretty much the same structure. All right. And uh, it, it takes fairly easy. What about figs? Figs do really well as an espalier. Okay. And, but again, you do have to train it and, and to make sure that the branches are growing close to the wires. Yeah. And you want that, again, you want that flat sort of two-dimensional shape. Right. And you can control the height, you can control the width, and uh, as long as they get enough sun and you've got a watering system to it, uh, you're good to go. Yeah, they're, they're, once, you, once you start doing it, they're actually quite easy to maintain. So if you've got that narrow garden area and you want some fruit trees, think about trellising them. We'll have links in today's show notes that'll uh, show you how to do it with a lot more information. Quentin Young is a Sacramento County Master Gardener. He's also the uh, manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. If you're in the uh, Sacramento or Northern California area, don't forget Harvest Day, which is the first Saturday in August. Come on out here to Fair Oaks Park in Sacramento County to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center and you can see this beautiful, beautiful garden that is designed to mimic what you're doing in your own yard and give you some great ideas of what you can do, be it vegetables, fruits, flowers, herbs, uh, vineyards, trees, drought-tolerant plants, whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it here, and it's going to give you some great ideas. And also, it's a great place to visit several times a year just to see what's in bloom, because there's always something growing here. Exactly, yeah. If you can try to make it to most of the open garden days, it's sort of like a year-long training course, because you can see the trees as they develop, how we prune them, how we shape them, and sort of the end result. Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in Fair Oaks Park. We'll have a link about Harvest Day in today's show notes as well. Quentin Young, uh, thanks for uh, giving us the lowdown on trellising fruit trees. Thanks for having me, Fred. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not Smart Pots. There are satisfied Smart Pot owners who have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose Smart Pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate Smart Pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in Smart Pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of Smart Pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the Smart Pot. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com fred. And don't forget that slash fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. 
Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Here's a quick tip for you. Debbie Flower is here, America's favorite retired college horticultural professor. Debbie, on previous shows, you have implied about growing tobacco. Mm-hmm. I don't smell any nicotine on you, so I know you don't smoke. No, I don't. But you have said tobacco is fun to grow. It is fun to grow. It was, surprisingly, my mother gave me tobacco seeds to start growing when I was, I don't know, in single digits, elementary school age. And she gave it to all, me and all of my sisters. And we grew them. And they were a fascinating plant. They grew fast. They grew tall, like four to five feet tall. They have big leaves that were, my memory is they're fuzzy. They have hairs on them. And then they bloom. Uh, they're in the genus Nicotiana, and we can grow, it's called flowering tobacco and as one of its common names. They have the same sort of very long tubular flowers that are visited by some pollinators, but a big panicle of them or structure of them at the top of this very tall plant. Kids like things that happen fast mm-hmm. and are big, and this fit that bill. They grew fast, and they got big, and it was an ooh-ah experience, and then they flowered. So that's why. Is it a tubular flower? Yes. So it's like Nicotiana in that regard. It is, yes. Does it bloom at night? My memory is it bloomed during the day. All right. Maybe it has an aroma at night? Yeah, I don't like? remember that part. I, I know some of the Nicotianas do, Yeah. and that's how they attract some of their pollinators. Right. Yeah, like, like the tomato hornworm moth. <laughs> Yes. Or the tobacco hornworm. Or the tobacco hornworm. Yes. Yeah. There you go. That's probably That's the one. That's probably what it attracts. Yeah. But what I found amazing in, in going online are finding all the places that sell tobacco seeds to grow in the garden. Yes. I grew some. I got some seed and we grew them at school and sold them at our plant sale and somebody got wind of it and it started to become a very popular crop and they were requesting specific cultivars of tobacco and some for cigars and these people wanted to grow them and use them for tobacco. I know nothing about that, the drying or processing of the leaves, but they're out there and they're fun to grow. Back when tobacco shops opened up, was that, what was the deal with people wanting to grow tobacco. The taxes went up on it. Oh, who knows? The price went up on tobacco. Something happened. That and all certainly of, has happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, people wanted to grow their own tobacco. And this was 25 years ago or so. And so I started doing research about growing tobacco. It helps to live in Kentucky. Yes, uh, I imagine there's greater sources there. Well, there not only sources, but also the weather there is more conducive to growing oh. tobacco because the temperatures are more moderate and the humidity is higher, too. Apparently, the tobacco plant flourishes in high humidity. That's not to say it can't grow here because you've right. grown it here. Yes, I've grown it to a small size here. I haven't grown to a mature size. When I grew it to a mature size, I lived in New Jersey. Oh, that's humid. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> but you can increase humidity by trapping moisture. Or... Growing it on a side of the house that's more humid. Right, and yeah. less protected by wind, or less... Exposed that to is, the wind. Yes, expo- less exposed to the wind, better protected from the wind. Yeah, but it's just amazing just how many different varieties. I'm at the victoryseeds.com website. They have more than seven pages of tobacco wow. varieties that are out there, most of them heirloom varieties. And I think it said there's like uh, 100 seeds per packet. Uh, I think that would be enough. Uh, how far apart do you space them? 
They get pretty wide. I want to say two to three feet. Okay. So you'd space them 18 to 24 inches apart. Right. Probably. Yeah. And they look like the leaves come in different colors as well. Mm -hmm. I imagine the flowers might. The ones we had were just white. But I don't know for sure if they come in. They must be. That's got to be the source of... Oh, there's some flowers here. It doesn't have to be the source. There's pink. Yeah. There's pink and red. Yeah. And white and, and white. Okay. Now, I don't know. I assume the government would want to know if you were going to start your own tobacco production facility. I don't know what regulations are associated with that. I think to be successful again, I mean, for the backyard grower, I doubt there's any restrictions. Right. I'm sure. Right. Uh, Limits. But if you wanted to start a a heirloom business of a business of growing heirloom tobacco for sale, obviously there are regular business licenses you have to have and tax Mm -hmm. forms and that sort of thing. But I don't know if tobacco is like alcohol, let's say it has special laws associated with it. I think it's the same people that control firearms, too. It's alcohol, tobacco, tobacco and, and firearms, firearms right. right. But I, I think uh, for the hobbyist gardener, it, just to grow it as a an interesting-looking plant, uh, there are no restrictions right. on that. There's no restrictions on that. buying the seed. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's worth a, a shot. And like you mentioned, it grows quickly. Yes. So it... it It's a new habit for the little kids in the house. (laughs) (laughs) It was impressive. It was a fun plant to watch. All right. And I imagine it has an aroma. I don't remember one, but I imagine it does. Especially if you live in Kentucky. Right. Or uh, another humid... A humid uh, place that holds the scents close. You know what? Also, this is an aside, but then this is what this show is known for. Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of, of shows for the nose, right now, the Brugmansia is blooming in the yard. The Charles Grimaldi mm-hmm. Brugmansia. And it's just got this wonderful aroma. And it's like only in the early evening. Oh. But it just it's just this perfume over the entire yard. Of course, the Brugmansia is a poisonous plant. Yes. And, and like so many beautiful plants, it's deadly. Mm-hmm. So admire it from afar. Mm-hmm. And all poison is about quantity. Right, right. And also, if, if you're worried about your pets ingesting it, it depends on the nature of the pet. Now, obviously, some animals have to be kept away from most anything. Like a goat, maybe. Yeah, like the, uh, the goat-like dog. But <laughs> some dogs, you know, don't care and they, they don't eat it. So mm-hmm. that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like my dogs, they don't bother that plant. But it, it is gorgeous right now. Cool. Yeah. I saw a picture. It is gorgeous. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, tobacco, you can grow it. Plant some for the kids. Well, it's, a friend of ours said every year you should grow something new and different. There's one idea. Yeah. Yeah. Tobacco. What would be another thing you could grow that would be different? Well, I tried a different cultivar of cucumber and got nowhere with it this year. Okay. I guess that counts. Yeah. Yeah. It was a parthenocarpic cucumber. Ooh. It doesn't need a mate. Correct. Yeah. It'll produce fruit. All by itself. Yeah. Sad life that is. I was <laughs> uh, trying to think of what I planted this year that's different. Well, Fred, why don't you go to your garden diary, which you keep right here on your desk about everything you do in the garden. Like I say, you keep an indoor diary of what you do in the garden because the garden gnomes and the possums will take away all the little signs you put out next to your plants. I think the skunk was in my yard with a, with babies digging things up naturally yeah yeah yeah. you know what speaking of of good guys in the garden and a skunk in that sense is a good guy they're going after grubs right 
The robins are going after the grubs here. Oh, wow. Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I don't mind. I saw this robin digging in the raised bed. Mm-hmm. I go, well, you're not planting an acorn. Mm-hmm. What the heck are you doing? And then all of a sudden, I saw this little C-shaped white grub in his mouth. Very and nice. Flew away. So, yeah, go for it. Yeah. It's fine and dandy. Okay, something different that we grew this year that I've never grown before, Chiogia beets. Chiogia beets, I Spell believe. Spell Chiogia. C-H-I-O-G-G-I-A. Okay. I think it's Chiogia. Okay. And it's an heirloom beet. Mm-hmm. You slice it halfway open, and it's got these concentric red rings. Oh, I've seen pictures of those. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Very pretty, yeah. yeah. And they're delicious, too. Oh, good. The beets are edible. The greens are edible. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be planting beets every year now. Mm-hmm. First, I'd, how did I make it this far without ever growing beets? I have grown them and not, I think I don't harvest soon enough. I think they get woody and crack before I get them out of the ground. So this year I grew a new type of chard, which is just a, a stays small. Well, all chard will get big eventually, but it does not produce any sort of a beet root. It's a new chard for me anyway. Mm, okay, that's right. They, they are in the same family. Yes, they are. Yeah. They are. And I we had the greens last night and they weren't bitter. They were young. They weren't bitter. By the way, uh, for those of you in warmer climates, you might try growing chard just about any season of the year, unless mm-hmm. unless you're in Tucson, and then you probably wouldn't have much luck in the summertime. But I'll have uh, to check the gardens when I go this time, the vegetable gardens in the yeah. public park. You can go look at them. Chards do fairly well uh, without bolting in, in heat. Yes, we typically a uh, chard will last a year here in in Central Valley of California. Plant it in spring, and it goes through the winter and you have it again the next year you can't really see it from here but if you look out through the abutilon jungle out the window i see a bolted in yes there you go that's what it is it's huge it is it's like a six foot tall chard it sure is huge (laughs) yes it's it's a what you're leaving for the beneficials to come yeah exactly feed on yeah exactly and it's not my way yet (laughs) right (laughs) there's there there we all have our priorities yeah all right Where, where did that scenic bypass start Grow tobacco. (laughs) There you go. Debbie Flower, thanks so much. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you, Fred. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams, but maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions, such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. And now something very pertinent to those of us living in the Western United States, especially those of us who every day get on the computer and check the wildfire maps. More and more of us throughout the West are having to deal with smoke. And here in the Central Valley of California, it's become an annual event. 
Another unwanted season of falling ash and wildfire smoke. It seems to last throughout the end of summer and the beginning of fall. And yes, we gardeners do suffer from that smoke inhalation, but you know something? Your flowers and vegetables suffer as well on smoky days. Surprisingly, there's some benefit to your plants from all that smoke. But first, let's talk about the bad news. Out at the UC Berkeley Botanical Garden, the garden director there, Dr. Lou Feldman, has pointed out in a recent article that the combination of the toxic chemicals in the smoke is suffocating your plants. He says that chemically, more than 100 different compounds have been identified in smoke, including toxic levels of nitrous oxide, sulfur dioxide, and ozone. He wrote about that in the Botanical Garden's monthly newsletter. He goes on to say that short-term exposure to smoke as little as 20 minutes has been reported to reduce photosynthesis by as much as 50%. Feldman points out that the effect is usually accompanied by a lessening in plant growth, and that includes a reduction in fruit production and slower ripening. And as any uh, California winemaker can tell you, that prolonged exposure of fruits and vegetables to smoke can affect the taste. When falling ash accompanies that smoke, Feldman says that stresses the plant even more. He says when ash lodges in the pores of the plant leaves, not only is the intake of carbon dioxide retarded, but the pores can no longer function efficiently in preventing water loss from the plant. But even Feldman has a silver lining to that cloud of smoke. Ash, he says, is organic matter composed of many of the essential nutrients that plants require, including calcium, magnesium, and potassium. So if the ash accumulation is not so great as to bury the plant, the ash could be thought of as acting like fertilizer. And there's another, if contradictory, benefit to smoky skies for your plants. This according to the Journal of Geophysical Research, Biogeosciences. Researchers in the January 2020 report indicate that wildfire smoke could increase plant productivity. How's that? Well, they studied the ecological effect of wildfire smoke here in the Central Valley of California during the summer of 2018, which was a very smoky summer indeed. They found that the increase in production was due to the smoke scattering incoming sunlight, and that allowed the sun's energy to reach further into dense plant canopies. That increased the efficiency by which these plant canopies were photosynthesizing, leading to productivity increases. However, those researchers noted there are some trade-offs when dealing with total light and other pollutants. And it's those other trade-offs that should concern gardeners. So if you're diligent about washing off smoke and ash particles from all surfaces of the leaves on a regular basis during wildfire events, your plants will be able to respire normally reduce possible water stress, and maybe even put on a new spurt of growth. Do you store your chicken eggs in the refrigerator or on the kitchen counter? Which is better? How can you tell when an egg is going bad? Should you wash chicken eggs? And what should the temperature of the water be for that wash? And how do you get your backyard chicken flock to lay more eggs in the winter? In Friday's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, we chat with urban chicken consultant and certified poultry health inspector Cherie Sintas-Glover. Think of it as a deeper dive into the world of chickens and eggs. And it's only in the newsletter that goes beyond the basics, the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Beyond the Basics newsletter, and it's out Friday, June 24th. Find it via the link in today's show notes or visit our new website, gardenbasics.net. 
There, you can find a link to the newsletter in the tabs at the top of the page. And you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast, as well as read an enhanced transcript of the podcast episode you're listening to right now. It's at GardenBasics.net. That's where you can also link to the Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Garden Basics. And it's free. Look for it on Friday, June 24th. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. Find it at GardenBasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.